immediately it was like when I looked at it it was essentially it summed up to like you're not supposed to be here so that kind of attitude that I was getting from the world already just manifested in this old ugly painting on the wall so Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's Historian Laureate. Wait, nope, I'm not that anymore. But this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Wiskaigan, on Treaty 6 territory. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Check, 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 all of that is still true. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. Wait, that's not what this episode is. What is happening? Is this still a podcast? Okay, yes. Things will be back to normal next month, but I'm also in the middle of wrapping up my day job at the community radio station, CJSR, and with all the big, big changes happening in my life right now, I'm not putting together a full investigation this month. Instead, I'm reaching back to grab a handful of tape I recorded two years ago, when I first applied to become the historian laureate for the city. They told me to put together a presentation, and I thought, okay, I want to make a podcast, I better show them what I can do. Now, this story is pretty different from the final form that Let's Find Out ended up taking. It's just a straight up story. And this is a story about First Nations people, settler people, Métis people, anger, and it's a story about art. Now the interviews you're about to hear, I recorded them in 2016, so keep that in mind. It was almost like an um an emotional punch in the gut when I saw that because I was just so unprepared for it. Well, I'm Kelsey Chief and I'm a first year open studies student. Well, I was raised in the Laclobish area and um, of Plains Cree and Acadian French descent. When Kelsey Chief was on her orientation tour at the University of Alberta in 2015, a librarian took her group to one of the most famous buildings on campus, the Rutherford Library. And they walked into a big, brightly lit room that's often called the Harry Potter room because all the bookshelves along the walls and the high ceiling have a very restricted section of the library at Hogwarts feel to them. And that's where she first saw two paintings, one of them set to become a big part of her life on campus. And we went into that room and... They pointed out the mural. Like, first you see the Jean-Vierre mural, and they pointed out that one. And then they turn around and point out the other one. And I thought the Jean-Vierre mural was beautiful. It was great. Um, it was kind of vastly overshadowed, though, by the... Normally, that kind of thing, it didn't catch me off guard so much, but I was just so in, like, a childish awe of just kind of... Like, wow, I'm at university. Wow, I'm looking around. Everything is new and great and everything's going to be awesome. And kind of just shattered that illusion. So that second painting, the one that felt like a punch in the gut, is a mural called Alberta History. Henry George Glyde was the artist. He was originally from England, studied art all around Europe. He started the U of A's art program, and he also helped the Banff Center get started. He painted Alberta's history, this mural, as a gift in 1951, with help from some students. It's high above the entrance. It's like 20 feet long. You actually have to 
crane your neck and back up to get a good look. And it paints a picture, pun intended, of Alberta history dominated by two white Christian figures, the Catholic Father Lacombe and the Anglican Reverend McDougall. They're each standing around a cluster of Indigenous people, but the Indigenous people mostly have their heads bowed, or they're facing away from the viewer. It's unclear whether they're Blackfoot or Cree or what, and Glide doesn't give many visual clues. Fort Edmonton is in the background. Churches stand tall in the river valley, reaching up above a smattering of teepees. There are some big power relationships going on in this painting, and that's what Kelsey responded to most. The priest, or the pastor, or whatever, standing above the (laughs) barely clothed loincloth Indians whose faces you don't see at all, whose whose humanity is obscured from you through both the stereotypical and inaccurate depiction of what they looked like and what they wore, and through not seeing their faces and them being crouched low below, whereas you get a full view of the priest, I don't know, preaching to them, calming them, or soothing them. Every Native person knows what it's like to be told that, like, to be calmed down, to not be so angry. Like... And immediately it was like, when I looked at it, it was essentially, it summed up to like, you're not supposed to be here. So that kind of attitude that I was getting from the world already just manifested in this old, ugly painting on the wall. So like, cause that's the thing that like immediately I had like, I was really excited for university, but I still had that kind of imposter syndrome. I didn't let it bother me too much. I just resolved, okay, well, that's one place I can't study here. Even though I knew there was like, there's hundreds of places, but part of me still felt angry that even if it's one out of a hundred places where I can go and study, one is too much. So Kelsey let that feeling stew. And then a writing assignment came up in her Aboriginal writing class that inspired her to do something about the anger she felt about that glide mural. She wrote a manifesto, and she got it posted in the library so students could see it when they came in and out of the room. I decided to write the the manifesto under the pseudonym uh, The Angry Cree Indian or something close to that. Um, I chose that because, I don't know, it was part of me just rebelling out against that idea that... um, that when you're angry, all of a sudden, that you have nothing worth listening to. In the manifesto, she looks at not just the mural, but also what it represents, which to her is a failure of the U of A's attempts at reconciliation. And she asks other students to speak up about it. To actually acknowledge colonialism, to acknowledge it in a real way, you know, mostly to talk about it, to actually to let people know beyond our two-minute social studies lecture about colonialism in grade eight or nine, what it is to define it. If you're a settler, to be very considerate about the, the languages that you're, the language that you're using while discussing these issues, someone is more likely to listen to you because they believe you to be the more impartial of the two, but to not take up too much of the space when it comes to discussions like these. What do you think should happen to the mural? 
I think it should be removed completely. Which is pretty persuasive, right? Persuasive enough that Kelsey got asked to be on a committee figuring out what to do next. But here's something that really fascinates me. One of the most compelling counter-perspectives comes from an essay written by a Métis visual artist and professor. You could look at an ontological hierarchy and see, you know, the, the lesser humans are shown lower, those are indigenous people, and then higher and higher, you have white people standing up or standing on things. But um, I don't really quite see it that way. My name is David Garneau. I'm associate uh, prof at the University of Regina. I teach painting and drawing and some other courses. Born and raised in Edmonton, moved to Calgary for about 20 years, did uh, BFA and an English degree there. Maybe about five years ago, I was teaching a course on contemporary Aboriginal art. And uh, when I brought primarily Indigenous students into the room, they didn't see it negative, and I was impressed that they didn't see it within the sort of knee-jerk colonial, anti-colonial frame. And they were focusing on the Native guy on the far right side. <clears throat> so, well, there's two groups of Indigenous people who look like they might be pacified by religion. A central figure, I mean, he's off to the side, but he's he's a, a dominant figure um, facing the painting, facing um, Lacombe. Uh, he's, he's uh, you know naked, uh, like the other guys, except for a loincloth, but he's carrying a rifle. And to his right is a woman, and they seem to have some kind of agency in there that, that at least my Indigenous students uh, saw right away. They were, you know, probably looking for something positive, and that's what they saw. The other readings that David Garneau sees in the painting are interesting. The settlers' attempts to pacify Indigenous peoples around the time of the building of the railroad has parallels with the discovery of oil in Leduc in Glide's time. There's also a person in the middle of the mural that David says you can see as a way to start reading the painting as a story about the birth of the Métis people as a political force, too. But beyond those specific things, what I think is interesting is that David says there are other legitimate ways of reading the mural, and it kind of doesn't matter what Glide intended. And he says Kelsey Chief's view that the painting should be seen as just what she calls a hanging message of hate in her manifesto take a righteous point of view that's, I don't say unthinking, you know, it's very sensitive to take a anti-colonial point of view, is it significant, but then you're only reading the things that you want to read into it, and that's the same uh, error, affective error, that someone who's uh, transparently part of the colonial project does. So I think it's important to see these signs of resistance, because I find that when people are making representations in fiction or in painting or whatever, and they're going to paint a Native person, um, and they're trying to show some kind of human dignity and so on. I think that aspect has to be honored, as well as acknowledging that it's restrained by its time. This is clearly a propagandistic painting, but there's certain elements that an indigenous person can read into um, that are uncanny. So I look at the figure on the right, and his family is protecting. He's holding a rifle, right? He's not disarmed. Then we look at the guy in the middle. It's a very awkward painting, and you got this guy in the middle sitting with his arms crossed, waiting to see what's going to happen next. For me, that's the Métis figure. And as I argued in the paper, so my great-great-grandfather's land is right opposite this. It's almost as if it's addressing that sort of Métis and Indigenous side over there. So I see this sort of positive dialogue. Um, and so there are a lot of things that make people uncomfortable, um, especially if we're looking for an Indigenized space. 
um, but ex- excluding things that make us uncomfortable or um, you know, wishing these things didn't exist, I don't think it's appropriate in every case. Certainly are the things that are baldly, um, unproblematically racist or, or colonial that have to be reconsidered, but I, I don't consider this one of them. But I mean, the university is full of unfashionable ideas. That's what it's there for. And there are many, many volumes in the library that are unfashionable. And there's, we don't want to just using the ideology of the present uh, to decontaminate all those books and professors and students who are not fashionable. David's not so hot on the Alex John Vere painting in the room as a solution either. It was put there as a response to Glide's mural. To me, it just looks really awkward, though. It just seems like it has nothing to do with Clyde's painting. I'd like to see um, uh, a text, a didactic panel that explains these alternate points of view or you know, leads you to a website with a discourse that, that people could enter into. And, and then it becomes, it's taken seriously, not as a monument, but as a point of view, you know, something to be wrestled with. But for the student who wrote the manifesto, Kelsey Chief, that's not enough. I get, I truly understand that there is a underrepresentation of Métis history, misrepresentation. But I don't think you should be seeking it from a man like Glide. I feel like you don't have to keep something because it uplifts one people, but also is kind of putting down an entire other people. It's been two years since I interviewed Kelsey and David, so I went back to Rutherford Library this week, up to the Harry Potter room, and Henry Glyde's mural is still there, with no new signage explaining the context for the picture. And Alex Janvier's painting is still across the room, awkwardly facing the glide piece. Anne Carwigan leads Indigenous Initiatives for the U of A Libraries. Although the mural is in one of their libraries, it's technically managed by the U of A's Museums and Collections Department. But she was the one who talked to the Vice Provost Learning Services about Kelsey's manifesto, and that was what got the ball rolling with the group to review the issues around the mural. Anne said that although she would prefer that it were gone since it's in a student space, there are quite complicated issues around it like the fact that it's painted onto the wall itself. Also, the Glide family have rights to the work, and Anne said there are also issues around covering it or removing the wall with the work on it. She said the folks at the library use the mural and John Beer's painting as resources for teaching around representation of Indigenous people and censorship. I spoke to Kelsey Chief this week, and she verified that nothing really came out of all this after a few meetings with quote-unquote important university people. And she said she's become much more jaded about reconciliation since then. There isn't much of a middle ground. It can't be moved out of the room. In a way, it is the room. Which is the case with a lot of remnants of awkward people and ideas from our past. The name Oliver, that statue of the blanket swap behind the Stanley Milner Library, the neighborhoods built on Papa's Chase land. I kind of appreciate that there is no easy answer with the mural. Partly because it shows that what the author meant isn't the last word. It shows that history belongs to us in the present, and it matters because it affects not only the way we see ourselves, but also what kind of communities we choose to create. So the question is still open. Who has the last word, if anyone? 
In a minute, I've got another free live history walking tour I want to let you know about, and I need questions from you folks again for this one. But first, Let's Find Out is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, host of wonderful Alberta-based shows, including That's a Thing, which is made by the founder of our network, Karen Unland, and her awesome daughter, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is kind of the young people correspondent on the show, explaining things like creepypasta and Tide Pods to her mom. If you, like me, feel frequently out of the loop, Elizabeth is an excellent guide to what the hell is going on with teens these days. That's a Thing is surprisingly easy to find on iTunes and on thing.libsyn.com. Let's Find Out is also brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation, funders of awesome things around town and makers of the Well Endowed podcast, where you can hear the chair of Canada's task force on cannabis legalization, Anna McClellan, explain why they are not calling it a pot task force or a marijuana task force. And also, you can hear her talk about how legalizing pot is going to change things, big time. You can find The Well-Endowed Podcast in your favorite podcatcher or on their website, thewellendowedpodcast.com. All right, I promised I'd tell you about our next history walk. Back by popular demand, I'm really happy to announce I'll be doing another historical walking tour for the Let's Find Out podcast this June. It's another team up with the Ritchie Community League. Ritchie is a fascinating neighborhood, and last year we got to learn about when some of the street trees there were planted and whether some cows escaped from the meatpacking plant. If you have burning questions about this Southside neighborhood, I want to help you find out the answers. And we'll be doing a walking tour to share what we found out on June 10th. So send me your questions. You can email me, chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com by Sunday, May 20th, or send a message to Let's Find Out on Facebook or Instagram. Send in anything you're curious about, like Maybe some questions about the Amen Chow blacksmith shop? That's the building that's been in the news a bunch because the owners have applied for a demolition permit, and I would love to learn more about it. Drop me a line by May 20th, and join us on the walk, June 10th. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. This podcast is produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chang and Phillips, we want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let's Find Out Podcast. Also, every time I talk about the Glide mural, people bring up the Grandin mural in the LRT station underground. And Sarah Hoyles and Roshani Nair have done some excellent stories on the Grandin mural, so I'm just going to link to those on the website. Okay, thank you, Time. Thank you to Kelsey Chief, David Garneau, and Ann Carwigan. Thank you to Kiwi Richards. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the monumentally lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. Until next time. Keep your questions coming.